Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Four, three, two, one. There it goes. All right. So uh, I've had a chance to meet you. I'm Chip Freed, uh, the lead teaching pastor here at Garfield Memorial Church. So glad if you're tuning in with us, uh, wherever you're at, this is an exciting Sunday. These are my favorite Sundays. Uh, Baptism Sunday, uh, we share that for the last 12 years. Every Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, we've celebrated Baptism Sunday. Um, The early church celebrated baptisms on Easter. They put their folk through two years of training, though we're not that rigorous. We're, we're a kinder, gentler uh, attempt. But, so we've always done that, and it's so exciting to do it. And if you're online today, and as we're preaching today, or you're seeing the baptisms, if you want to grab a cup of water or something, and you just want to reaffirm your baptism, would you let Pastor Kurt know in the thread, say, hey, Pastor Kurt, I'm kind of moved. Would you pray with me? And he will pray with you online as we celebrate together. Um, you know, in the last couple years, when our facilities had to close, uh, the church never closed, but sometimes our buildings did. And uh, when we were going through all that, I was, I was really grieving. Well, I was grieving a lot of things, but I was grieving over Baptism Sundays. What are we going to do? You know, we can't do Baptism Sundays. They're kind of like the heartbeat of Garfield. We do usually two here at Pepper Pike and one at South Euclid. And, and then uh, what happened was we were in here in this facility right here. And you know what? For six months, we were in here with just the camera and the poor band to an empty room. And, and uh, the tech team was back there. And we had a couple of our security guards. And that was all that was here. That's all that was allowed in the facility. And uh, while I was grieving that, one of our security guards said that they heard the gospel for the first time in that empty room. And they asked Pastor Scott if he would baptize him. And we baptized him the following week online. And uh, about two months after that, there was a young man uh, in his 20s, and he drove up and said, hey, can I talk to a pastor at the church? And our security guys are great. And they said, sure, let me uh, get one of you. And I think it was my wife and I, we went over to meet him. And he said, well, God told me to drive into this church today that I'd be safe. And he said, you know, I've been praying about baptism. And so we baptized him two weeks later. And then we had young families that were coming up to us saying, hey, you know, we really want our child, children to be baptized. And so they were okay with standing outside in the parking lot in the cold as we had worship out there and we were doing baptisms. And I said, thank you, Lord, that the waters of baptism are never frozen. That no devil in hell can shut up that fountain. No pandemic, no sickness, no isms, no none of it is going to stop the flow of living water so long as Jesus Christ is alive. And we shared last week and this week and every week that is to come, he is alive. And so we're excited for that. So 
And I tell you, I, I pray over baptism Sundays each week, and I said, you know, God, and I told my wife this, if the waters of baptism ever stop flowing at Garfield Memorial, you guys need to find a new missional leader because it'll mean I'm not doing my job. But I think about the last 12 years, we have over, had over 700 adults and youth go into these waters, and that's not even counting, that's not counting the infants and families. And so I just, I praise God for that, and it, it gives me great hope. Okay, I'm... I'm I'm going to do something in a minute that we don't usually do here. I'm going to ask you to stand and read something. But before I do, let me set it up. Um, We've been in this series, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, uh, throughout all of Lent leading up to Easter and last week and now this week and into next week. Pastor Steve will close it up here. I'll close it up at South Euclid. Um, We've been looking at the fact that Jesus did, if you read Luke's gospel, over 50% of his ministry at tables, breaking bread, looking people in their eyes, doing life together. Not up here pontificating from pulpits, right, or handing out biblical tracts, sitting down at tables where people were safe, where they could be vulnerable. It didn't matter if it was a tax collector or a prostitute or a Pharisee or the Pope, for heaven's sakes. Jesus was taught by everyone and bought by no one. And he sat at table, and it, and it drove the religious people crazy. And we've been looking at these meals, and last week at Easter, we saw even when Jesus returned from the dead, he had broke bread with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then he had a fish sandwich with a ten up in the room, and he was continuing this ministry. And today, this text that you heard read for us, and, and I'm, I'm glad, Alex, you said one of your favorites, mine too, um, is, as many say, is Jesus having the very first communion with the church? You know, he's calling his disciples again. He's calling in the mission of the church. And in the Last Supper in the upper room, he initiated the Lord's Supper. He re-transformed the Passover meal into what we know as the Lord's Supper. But now, right after the resurrection, he's breaking bread and serving a meal. And he's commissioning his church for the work. Now, there's a creed I want us to read. We don't usually do this in this service. We're not highly liturgical. But there's something called the Apostles' Creed. And I've been praying over it this week because the Apostles' Creed is the oldest creed we have in the church. People used to believe it was written by the apostles themselves. We don't know if that's true or not true. What we do know is by the second century, so this was in the infancy of the church, they were using this creed as baptismal creed. So he would say, do you believe in God the Father? The bishop would in, in Rome in the year 200. And the people would say, yes, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, I do believe in Jesus Christ. And I, I'm setting you up for a purpose here, but I need you to go along with me. I want us to read this creed on Baptism Sunday, reminiscent of our ancestors in the first and second century that we'll be doing this with those waters. So can we stand together? Can we stand and read this? If you don't want to read it, that's okay. Just take in the words. I'm not, we're not that kind of church that forces you to do stuff, but just take in the words. But if you're willing to read it, read it. And I gotta give you one disclaimer. In the creed, it talks about we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That's not a brand. I wouldn't want you to say you believe in the Holy Methodist Church or the Holy Non-Denominational Church. The word Catholic was very generic in this creed. It meant universal. So when we say that, we believe in the church gathered across the world, right? Every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. All right, ready to do it with me? Let's do it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. 
He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for doing that with me. Now here's what I noticed in the Apostles' Creed preparing for today that I hadn't really noticed before. When we say the I believes, there in the Latin is the credo, right? The I believe in God, the I believe in I was very struck. Now, I've said this most of my life in different contexts. But when we say I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, is only God's only begotten Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I kind of understand that, but then it kind of struck me. We say in this creed, I believe in the church. And I thought, why do we say that? Like, I get it, there are atheists out there that don't believe in God. Are there actually a churches out there like that don't believe the church exists? Like, it seemed to me like, okay, I say I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That takes faith, right? I can't tangibly point to it. But why do we say I believe in the church when you've got churches on just about every corner of every street all across the world? Why do we say that? Do you, does it take faith to believe in the church? Now, I'm going to make the case to you, you bet it does. Now, it may not take faith to believe in what we've turned the church into in some of our sinful ways. And it doesn't take much faith to believe into the church where it led the Inquisition and the Crusades and the history of anti-Semitism and the fact that in the American South, they actually held lynchings on church property. So the church has fallen in many, many ways, and it doesn't take much faith to believe in that church. In fact, if the Christian commentators are correct, the number one reason that people are rejecting Christianity in America is not because they don't believe in God, but because they don't believe in the church. And so I'm going to say it takes great faith to believe in the church because when I read this story, and this is what struck out of me today, because if we're having people being baptized, we ought to let you know what you're coming into, right? And then some of you reaffirming what you've been in all your life. But we need a reminder, I think, of what Jesus' dream for the church was. And you see it in this passage. And what Jesus envisioned for the church, you've got to have faith to believe in that. Because you rarely see it. And, and I, make the, I can make the contention, it is easier for people to read the Bible and believe in God than it is to believe in what Jesus had the vision for his church. And I've said around here, you've heard me say many times, the cross was God's idea of how to reconcile us to God, but the church was Jesus's idea on how to reconcile us one to the other. And this is the work that he dreamed up. This was his idea, right? He said, on this rock, I will build my church, not your church, Chip, not free temple, not, you know, uh, Chip, Mike, don't have a good one for that one. Anyhow, dream it up, right? Uh, you know, wasn't that was my church, this movement that I created, that the gates of hell could not prevail against, which is why you were doing baptisms when you were so worried, oh, you of little faith. This is my movement. This is my church. This is fueled by my Holy Spirit, not by your brilliant ideas. And so what do we have in the story? We have Jesus showing up at, by the water, and, and he's calling out to his disciples once again. Now, almost every New Testament commentator has noticed this story sounds a lot like another story if you've read your Bible you know about. It was when Jesus first called the disciples, right? Luke chapter 5. Jesus is walking along the shore. He gets into the boat. 
Peter and John and James, they're burnt out over a bad night of fishing. They've caught nothing. They're washing their nets. Pastor Lori's been with me in Israel, and some of you have. We've been to those hot springs on the Sea of Galilee. You know the exact spot. You can just see those disciples calling it quits. You know, washing their nets. We're done. And Jesus walks in. He says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Because there's some things easy for Jesus to borrow because you're not using them anyways. So you shouldn't get a plaque for that one. But he gets into the boat, and he teaches the crowd, right? And then after he teaches the crowd, he turns to Peter and these guys, he said, let's go back out. Why are you giving up? And I said, Lord, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Yeah, but you've been hanging out in shallow water. Let's go out deeper. You've been hanging out with shallow people. You've been thinking shallow thoughts. Let's go deeper. Let's go beyond your, I heard about God who can do exceedingly abundantly more than we might ask or think according to his power at work in us. Let's go out deeper, right? They go out and they have this miraculous catch. You remember that? And then Peter goes, oh, gosh, get away from me. You are too holy. I can't handle this. And, and Jesus said, well, look, Peter, are you excited because you just had a financial bonanza bumper crop? I'm going to take this little puny business of yours, and we're going to not have you fishing for fish. We're going to have you fishing for people. You're going to have new purpose and new meaning and, and new mission in your life. It's going to energize you. It's going to let you know the reason you were born. And, and so he, he sends us on this new mission. And now Jesus shows up, right? He shows up. And that was the original call. That's how he started the church. Come, I will make you fishers of men and women, right? Now he shows up and the story happens again. And some scholars say, no, it didn't happen again. That's just, John's just retelling Luke's story. But I'm going to make the contention to you that I don't agree with that. This is a brand new story because there's a major difference in the stories. In the first story, Jesus gets in the boat with them. And they go out and have this amazing catch. Now Jesus is not in the boat with him. In fact, they don't even recognize him. And this is such good news for the church of Jesus Christ because it's saying, Jesus is saying, look, I have the same mission for you. Even when you can't see me, even when you don't sense me, I am still with you and I'm still able to help you accomplish your mission if you will be courageous enough to do it. And I love that aspect of the story. It is so amazing. And so Jesus is reminding us who his church is. Now, let me show you the dynamic quickly of his church. We got to look at who's in the boat. Did you hear those first uh, verses Alex read for you? I want to read them again because we can miss this. I've missed it so many times. For two, first two verses. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, right? Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, we talked about him last week, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples were together, hard stop. I love that. It almost was like, what do you mean, John? John's a meticulous writer, so he's doing this on purpose. If you and I were writing the story, we'd have said they were together to go fishing. They were together to comfort each other after the loss of their Lord. But John is saying, no, they are together. This is the unity. This is the vision that Jesus had for his church. To be people that in spite of differences would be together. The people that probably would never get along in the world will get along under the lordship of Christ as they surrender their personal preferences and politics and personalities and everything else to be part of his body. And I just want to play around with this because you look at who's in the boat, right? They, they said there were seven. Can you do the math? There's seven. There were more than seven disciples. So why do they only say seven are in the boat? Now you've heard me say many times that number seven means completion, perfection, 
right? God created in seven days. When God redeems the world, seven trumpets, seven seals. That's what it means. So do you know who Jesus is saying is in the boat? Everybody. Everybody's in my boat. So don't you look down your nose at anyone because they're in my boat. And that's the church. That's Jesus' dream for the church. Now, I don't know about these little clubs we've created all over the world, but that was Jesus' dream for his church. In fact, if you look at who's in the boat, the way they put them together is kind of funny. There's Thomas in the boat and there's Nathaniel. Now, Tim Keller is a preacher I really like. He's retired now. But he looked at these two groups and he said, these are kind of archetypes. Like Nathaniel would be uh, somebody who's easy to believe. It's not hard to get Nathaniel converted. He's easy to believe, right? If you remember, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's one of, you know, kind of superstitious, all this. When he met Jesus, remember, Jesus, Philip went to get Nathaniel's brother, said the Messiah has come from uh, Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, what good can come out of Nazareth? That's the wrong side of town. And then Jesus shows up and, and he said, hey, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel goes, oh my gosh, you're the king of Israel. And Jesus goes, Already? Like, I haven't done anything yet. Like, what are you going to do when I feed 15,000 people or walk in the water? He said, there are greater things you have yet to see, right? You're so quick to believe, Nathaniel. Like, if it's on the internet, it must be true. That's Nathaniel. Now, Thomas, we saw last week, Thomas, Thomas is from Missouri. You're going to show me, brother. I'm not believing this. I don't believe that. I, I doubt, I'm doubting some things like this. And, and Tim Keller said, Thomas represents all the blue states. Nathaniel represents all the red states. And those people never get in the boat together. But look at here. Nathaniel and Thomas are together. And look at Peter and John, James and John. John is the thinker. John's the one that's laying up on Jesus' breast. John is not quick to speak. Peter, Peter's never had an unspoken thought in his life. <laughs> right? And John is quiet and he's working things out. In fact, he's the one that figures out when they got the new fish and they're going, oh my gosh, it's the Lord. That's Jesus. He's thinking out. Peter just throws on his clothes and dives in. (laughs) Have you ever been on a committee with John's and Peter's? It will drive you crazy because John's hate Peter's. They think they're impetuous. They're always leaping before they look. And Peter's think, John, all they do is analyze and start another committee. And if you're on a committee with Peter's and John's, you're miserable. And they're together in the boat. You're seeing this. This is, this is God's idea for his church. We look who's in the boat together. And we get reminded of the mission of his church. Jesus reminds them the mission of their church is to throw out their net. Right? That we're to reach out. We're to live outward, not inward. We're to be continually reaching out with the love of God. And this image of fishing has been a big image for the church for many years. That's why the ichthus was one of the images of the church. So what is the mission of church? It's fishing. Now, I want to let you know, I try to live my life biblically. So after Easter, the disciples all went fishing. So when a member of the church called me this week and said, hey, would you like to go fishing? It was my biblical duty. So don't, you, don't let people say, I saw your pastor's Facebook. And he's shown, no, 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 I, he's living out sacrificially. And if I were really a different kind of guy, I'd show you pictures of all the fish I caught when I was out fishing. I don't want to do that because that, that would not be humble. Um, that would be very brago. So I won't do it. I promise I won't do it. But if you want to look, you can check my Facebook and there's, there's proof that I went out um, fishing. But that is the church's early mission. You better take that down because they know I'm a liar right now. I see it on the cheat screen. <laughs> Anyhow, but that was the church's mission to, to fish. And what fishing was caught me is the early church talked about fishing like it was con- converting, making converts. I think that's way too shallow. 
yeah, does that part of it? Sure. But I, I was at a meeting with one of our staff people. If you know Justin Mack, he's our worship leader over in South Euclid. And we, we always have a heart for the unchurch. And Justin said to me, he said, oh, you know, man, I'm really, I really have a high concern for the non-converted. And I said, I have an equally high concern for the converted. Mm, and it's not just about being converted. See, when you're fishing, what are you doing? You're taking something out of one element and bringing it into another. And Jesus said, I don't want you to just bring people into a personal relationship with me. I want you to transfer them into a whole new way of living. I want to bring them into a whole new kingdom other than the kingdoms of this world. In the kingdom of my, my father's kingdom is so different than the kingdom of this world. It's like water and air. And, and we're transferring people into a different kind of organization, a community of the king. It's got different structure. It's got different values, right? And I love what Peter or Paul says in Colossians. This is one verse that just has hit me so hard this week. It said that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, this isn't just about converting people passing them out track at the airport. This is saying, come into a different kind of kingdom. Come into a different kind of community. That's why Jesus looked at his disciples early on, and he said, you're the light of the world. You're a city built on the hill. The light was watch fires that would help ships get into port. You're supposed to point people to a better way of, of living, a better way of looking. And that's why if we're going to be a city on the hill in the city of Cleveland, we've got to look a little different, right? You, you, and that's why you've got to, if you're going to be a city on the hill, you have to represent every tongue, tribe, culture, and nation. You've got to show the diversity of the world. Because otherwise, if you just elevate one culture, or elevate one people, or elevate one party, or elevate one economics, then by nature, you're confusing people saying the kingdom of God must prefer them. But we got to be in the boat together and living in unity and living in ways that we're fighting back against division. We don't have to agree on polity with everybody else, but we agree on each other's hearts. And we know that we are all called by Jesus Christ to be in the boat together and to build a world better than the one that we watch fracturing right in front of us. And that's what we're called to do. That's our mission. The city built on a hill, right? You know, the church was never supposed to be a place you just go have meetings. It was an alternative society, and that's what we're baptizing into today. And that's why we're reaffirming in ourselves today. Okay? And that's why one of the things, I always say this kind of tongue-in-cheek. Sometimes we don't even understand what the New Testament says. Because when it says, you are the light of the world, or you are the salt of the earth, in the Greek, it was second-person plural. Now, in America, unless you're from Mississippi or Alabama... You don't speak second person plural. You guys never laugh at that. <laughs> Ever heard of y'all? Okay, that's the only second person plural we have in, in English, right? But in Greek, they had it. It was second person plural. You all are the light of the world. You all are the soul of the earth. I want to build a different kind of... See, it's, I'm building a city. I'm building a church. I'm building a family. Look at all the images that Jesus uses. You can't be in a city by yourself. You can't be in a church by yourself. You can't be in a family by yourself. I'm building a whole different structure, a whole different organization, an alternate society, right? And so think of the things sometimes that you hear in the New Testament, that if you heard it as you all, it would bring you different understanding. Because when, when, when the New Testament, one of the disciples' teachings was rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. That was to you all. So guess what? When my heart is torn out and I'm beat up in the ground and I'm going through grief and I'm sitting over there and I can't even rejoice. 
it's okay because you all are rejoicing for me. Like we can do this when we do it together. Somebody say together. It's how this thing works, right? And Hebrews 13:5 says, you know, rid yourself of a life full of greed. But was saying you all, because it's hard to get rid of greed individually. Have you ever noticed that? As a pastor, I've been 32 years ordained. I have had people come to my office confess to all kinds of sins. Pastor, I'm struggling with adultery. Pastor, I, I cheat on my taxes. Pastor, I, you know, I was really doing that. I've never, ever had anybody come in and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with greed. It's never happened. It's true. Not once. But collectively... If we as a church begin to be able to talk about money and how do we spend our money and, and we're in a, a society where money's not an idol and looks aren't an idol and you know, achievements aren't an idol, we can, we can help each other, we can hold each other accountable, we can build a different kind of kingdom. Now, what gets in the way of doing that? Let me try to, 10 minutes here, guys. I'm watching my clock, 11 actually, 30, 29, 28, okay. Um, we look at how Jesus started doing surgery with Peter. Now, whenever I've preached on this, I've usually focused on Peter individually. But notice when Jesus starts doing his surgery on Peter, he doesn't pull him aside privately. He talks right in the whole group together. So he's not just speaking to Peter. Peter wasn't the only one that let him down that night. He was the most conspicuous, but he wasn't the only one. He was just a dumb, one dumb enough to speak about it. Right? Because if you read this, it says Jesus came to the shoreline and he said to him, he said, when they'd finished eating, right? When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, see, you didn't call him aside, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That had to cut Peter's heart out. And then he, then he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, okay, feed my lambs. We're going to talk about that in a second. That's a major problem. But do you love me more than these? Do you think when Peter heard him say that, he remembered Matthew 26 in the upper room when Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night. Peter said to him, though all of these become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Peter, you remember that night? Do you love me more than these? Who are these? These nets, these you know, fish, you know, these, your friends, your familia, the group I pulled together. You were so worried about saving your old skin that you left everybody down. And this is, this is the problem. This is the human condition, right? That, that we're called, Jesus said to his disciples, um, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to blast through this real quick, guys. He's, he said, he called them friends. Do you remember that? No longer I call you servants, now I call you friends. And when he said more than these, Jesus, when he called out to them that night, he called them friends. He said, friends, haven't you any fish? Do you see it? And what's really confusing, if you read some translations, that'll be interpreted children. Because the word in the Greek literally means children. But that makes no sense to me. Like I usually preach from the NRSV and they said children, but he wouldn't have said children. So I studied in Greek. This is what's called a colloquialism. I had to look that word up. But it's, it's soft speech. It's, it's, it's um, friendly speech, right? So in the Greek in that day and age, if you said, hey, children, you might be doing like I do. If I see Pastor Scott, Pastor Terry, Dre, and Leah, I go, hey, guys. Now, I know Pastor Terry and Leah are not a guy. But it's just an expression right? Hey guys. Hey children. Hey buds. Hey dudes. <laughs> I would never say that. My wife would shoot me if I said it. Um, but I have some people on staff who will say it. Let me tell you. So anyway, but it, that, he's coming with this kind of intimacy. 
and he's reminding them that I called you friends. And when he called them friends, what did he do for them? He opened up his heart. You can go to that one, friendship in Christ. It's opened up our heart. Jesus said, I'm going to open my heart to you. I'm going to tell you what's happening, which servants don't tell masters. And I'm going to lay down my life for you. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Friends, this is if the church is going to ignite friendship and reconciliation in the world. We need to do these two things. We need to open up our hearts to people, people who are as messed up and broken as we are. And we need to receive them, not with closed hearts and closed minds. And we need to be willing to lay down our lives for them. You say, well, what does that mean? Literally, it might. But it might mean laying down your personal preferences or laying down your prejudices or laying down your politics because you want to lift up others and bring them into this community of which you have known to be a part. It takes, it takes friendship. It takes this kind of love. And the problem is, is back to that word, and I'm sorry, I know I'm killing you guys back there, is getting to where Jesus said to Peter, we know you're broken, we've, we've, we've solved that one. And I love how Peter, he doesn't deny it this time. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? You know what Jesus is saying, Peter, you know you screwed up, right? Peter goes, yes, Lord, but I'm still trying to love you. Peter, you know you're a failure, right? Yes, Lord but I'm still trying to love you. Do you know if Peter made a bunch of excuses and said, why do you have to keep bringing that up? And it really wasn't my fault. He would have never been healed. Because if you don't know you're a sinner saved by grace, you are not qualified for this work. You can't do it until you, but if you take your failure like Peter did and you plunge it into the grace of Jesus Christ, you will come out of that shining like pure gold. You will be qualified to be a leader. When, Peter, when Jesus said to him after that, feed my sheep, the word he was using was the word we get for pasture, which is where we get the word pastor because Peter was able to acknowledge his own brokenness. Jesus said, now I can ordain you. Now I can use you. Now you can be in a leader in my church. But this this last little commandment of feed my lambs. I'm going to go there, guys. Feed my lambs. Uh, what's, that seems so innocent, doesn't it? I read a preacher. He was a British preacher named Dick Lucas. He was really stiff. I had to listen to his tapes when I was in seminary. The guy was in the Royal Navy in World War II. He was a career bachelor. He talked with a monotone. I'm like, I don't want to be your friend. I had to listen to these things. But he told a story that really cut me to the heart. He said that as a, as a lifelong bachelor, he found children to be trying. So I know we have some of you teachers here today. You wouldn't want to bring him to your class, trust me. You know, children are trying. He said, I'd much rather go to the pub or the theater than be with a child, right? But he got called by a friend of his to speak at the Stony Brook boarding school in Long Island. And so he had to go. It's a boarding school. They did chapel services every day. So because of his friend, he's like, I'll go. I don't like children, but I'll go. I'll just preach in the morning chapel. I'll be done. He was mortified after the first day when his friend, the, the head of the school, got up and said, well, we just want to announce that um, since we have uh, Reverend Wills here from over, or Luke Dick Lucas here from uh, over in uh, England, um, any student that wants to get out of class um, can come in tomorrow and sign up for a time, and he'll be here to meet with students all day tomorrow if there's anything you'd like to talk to a pastor about. And he's like dying over there. He's like, what kid is not going to cut class? And so he goes in, he's got a full schedule. Every hour on the hour, these 7th and 8th grade 
young girls and boys coming in to tell them all their life's troubles. And he was like, oh my God, this is so trivial. He said, if, if one more little girl said, yeah, but he sits in the first row of math class and he doesn't even know I'm alive. He said, I was going to kill myself. He said, I want to say, hey, wake up. You're not even going to know him in six months, you know. But he was like, don't roll your eyes, Dick. Look at the clock. And at lunchtime, he said, I had to go to my Bible because I had to survive the afternoon. So he said, Lord, you know I don't like this. You know this isn't my gig. Um, give me a word. Give me something, a prayer. And he opened his Bible and he turned to John 21. He read, feed my lambs. And Dick Lucas said, I got those, so convicted by those three words. The first word was feed. He said, why did you come here to preach, Dick? Did you come here to be fed? Or did you come here to feed? Now I know... Sometimes we say, I got to go to church to get fed. I got to tell you, though, you know, I had a guy say that to me not long ago. He goes, Reverend Freed, I'd love to come to your church. I'm like, great. I, you know, how long have you been coming? A few months. He said, I come here and you feed me. And I'm like, great. You want to eat me. Like, that is not cool. Um, you know, yes, we, we do that. We get fed together collectively through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit. But the, but the end of the day, if you just come to church to get fed, how are you going to do his work in the world? How are you going to be a city built on a hill? How are you going to be the salt of the earth? How are you going to be able to, to, to you know, uh, go the second mile with people? How are you going to give to people that are in need? How are you going to love your brother and sister are hurting if just all you're doing is getting fed? And he said, Dick, God, Holy Spirit said to him, did you come here to be fed or to feed? And then he said, and then God took me to that other word, lambs. Feed my lambs. He said, I didn't tell you to come feed my lions. I didn't tell you to come feed my stallions. Lambs are weak. They're needy all the time. Right? If you feed a cat, at least the cat will come up and purr on your leg. A lamb won't do that. You guys saw the movies I showed about sheep during Lent, right? They're not the sharpest tools in the shed. But he said, I didn't tell you to, to feed lions. I told you to feed lambs who are hurting and are needy and they're inconvenient. And then he said, then he took me to that third word, feed my lambs. He said, don't feed the people you choose. Don't feed the friends that you hang out with because you can get something out of the deal. You feed the people that I put in your path. You people feed the people that I send to you. You feed the people that are inconvenient. You feel the people that you'd never want to get in a boat with, but you feed them with grace and with hope and with love. And by so, so doing, you build up my kingdom. Now that's how, what God will say to us. And let me close saying this. We can never do it. We can never do it. We can never do it. I can never do it. Unless we realize we have the perfect friendship in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus, if we kept reading this story to the end, the end of 21, Jesus said, Peter, you used to go your own way, but I want you to stretch out your hands. And that he was saying to Peter how he was going to die. Peter was crucified um, himself. But when Jesus said that to him, what he was doing, he was reminding him of what he had done for him. He said, Peter, I stretched out my hands for you. 
I opened up my heart for you. You can't open up any wider and I opened up and they nailed my hands for heaven's sake. I let you all the way in. I saw you all the way down and I still loved you to the skies. Peter, I'm here to do surgery on you, to restore you and to redeem you and, and to bring you up because you know I'm a friend that will never, ever, ever let you down. Somebody told me a friend is someone that always lets you in and never lets you down. And I got to tell you, he's the only one that can do that all the time. And only when we know that, we won't be so needy. Only when we don't do that, we won't be so mercenary in our relationships. Only when we know that, we won't get in relationships for what we get out of it, but for what others get out of it. And by so doing, Jesus might make us a friend with him and thank God a friend of the world. So that's the vision, friends, for Christ's church. So feast with him and follow him and fail with him and fly to him. Peter was a very different person the second time around. The first time Jesus got in the boat, he said, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. He said, I can't even face my failure. But now he sees him coming again and he's swimming and he's running after him like a madman because he said, I just need to be near him. I just need to be in this eternal kingdom. So let's celebrate that today as we go toward the waters of baptism again. Amen? All right, let, let, me, let me pray real quick. Lord God, help us. Feast with you daily. Fail with you. Honestly, follow you with all that we have and all that we are. And fly to you, Lord. There's no place we'd rather be. We give you thanks for brothers and sisters making the public declaration today. Maybe others will join them. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen.